Okay, welcome to our first ever Peace of Christ Spiritual Lanyard podcast. What? <laughs> we might change that name next week or we might not. Spiritual Lanyard. We're working with that. We just recognize that, and let me, let me introduce who's in the room. Uh, I'm Aurelia, lead pastor at Peace of Christ Church. I'm Matthew, pastor of Community Care, Peace of Christ Church. And I'm Fran, pastor of worship and liturgy at Peace of Christ Church in Round Rock, Texas. Yes, and this is our first attempt at some extra content on our podcast, thus the spiritual land. Mm -hmm. And today we want to talk about Fran's book that she recently published called Call and Response, Litanies for Congregational Prayer. Such a beautiful book. We're going to spend the next half hour talking about it. We hope you'll join us from beginning to end. Um, but Lanyap is a really good name for this for this being our first podcast because uh, it's a, what, it's Cajun? Like, it's like, it, it's a Cajun French term for like the extra goodness, bits of goodness at the bottom of the pan. Yes. And it just so happens that our interviewee is from Louisiana and a lot Mostly, of that culture is with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm from Louisiana too, but... I'm not being interviewed today. You are. <laughs> so why don't we start off with a little bit about you and your story. Tell us how this book came to exist. Okay. So I grew up in the Mississippi River Delta. Halfway, half of my growing up, I, I would call it in Arkansas and half of it in Louisiana, right in the agricultural community of the Mississippi River Delta, and I was sort of the weird nerdy kid who was always reading a book and didn't really know where I fit, and so um, was really into Jesus. Like, I mean, I was raised in conservative, evangelical, we would call it fundamentalism now, I would, um, and in college kind of had a crisis of faith of like, does this matter to me? Does this mean anything? And in my decision was at that time, well, I really don't think any else, anything else matters, but Jesus. And then, um, graduated college and completely left, uh, my, the church of my roots behind kind of ran away screaming with my hair on fire. <laughs> like, like I got to get out <laughs> And um, my spouse and I got married at that around then, and uh, didn't I had never met liturgy at all. Um, liturgy now is my good friend and my sort of just like co-pilot, <laughs> and I had never met liturgy before, and I didn't meet liturgy until well into my adulthood, many years later. Um, when I was experiencing a dark night of the soul and a crisis of faith and had not a song to sing or a prayer to pray. And the liturgy was like this, this miraculous gift to me that I received that kept me, kept my ship afloat in a very rough time. And that was the beginning of my love. And in some ways just reliance, um, some might call it obsession <laughs> with liturgy. So does that answer it? Yeah. Do you have any follow-up questions, Matt, for that, about Fran's story? I know Fran's story so well that mm. I feel like I'm filling in blanks in my head. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. 
No, I'm just struck by what you shared just now as well as in the intro of how it carried you. Yeah. You, yeah, it didn't feel like you could keep putting one foot in front of the other. Somehow it, it carried you along. It did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was. It was like a life raft mm-hmm. in those in those years. I think I was 28 when I first met liturgy in San Francisco, California at City Church of San Francisco, which is a reformed church. It's an RCA church, Reformed Church of America, which is a very liturgical denomination. And like I had never gone to a church like that. I had never gone to a church where people, where the clergy wore clerical collars and communion was served to you by a person who said, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Mm-hmm. Like those, that the liturgy was so rich and meaningful and meaty and nourishing to me when like I really couldn't read the Bible at that time I had experienced some loss and was um, feeling pretty sad about the losses that I experienced mm-hmm. and I could that was what I can engage with mm-hmm. and I feel like I've been engaging with liturgy ever since and my ideas about it and my um, my sense of what liturgy is continues to grow and expand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you are more than a writer and more than a pastor. I would call you an artist. And you have a lot of creativity in your soul. And it, it resonates in your writing and your pastoring. But let's fill in the gaps a little bit. You are a songwriter, a musician, mm-hmm. a singer. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, do, how does your love for music and the... You didn't talk about this, but maybe you can a little here... How does your experience leading worship over the course of almost what two decades? How did how does that influence your how you view liturgy, how you write litanies, and and all of that? Um, okay, so being a worship leader, which I have been since I was around twenty, I've been fairly consistently leading worship in one context or another for call it 16 years. Um, It has enhanced my sense of thinking about liturgy pastorally, of like, what do people need to say? What do people need to hear said aloud? What do people need to sing aloud? And um, I also have a lot of ideas about art and how art and beauty and life in the human soul and how um, art and beauty, when we can find that within faith and within the context of, say, a church service, um, I think that brings us as a community, as people, as human souls to life. Um, so all of my, you know, my creative drive leans heavily toward articulating beauty and the beauty mm-hmm. of the faith journey and the, and the story, like, like the story of, of Christ and Christ's work is a beautiful story when we're able to, um, strip away our projections that we have onto it, mm-hmm. that religion has given us. And that's that, like, that's the heart. That's what I want to write and articulate in any litany. And I always like, the love that is the beauty of the story, the, the beauty encapsulated in the in the love that's mm-hmm. there. It's it's like 
if I can put words around that or point to it with words at all, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. What is my drive to do? And before we even get to the content, though, I am confronted by the beauty of the design of this book. Isn't it beautiful? Uh, and, it, and it tells me at the outset that for you, beauty and spirituality are inseparable. They are intermarried, yes. And so can you talk mm-hmm. about the significance of these rings and these lines that are radiating um, <laughs> and these spaces that seem to be opening up all over the page? I mean, I, I want to copy this and have it printed and blown up and stick it on my wall. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It, so it I really didn't is. make it. Mm-hmm. My partner, Jordan Gadapi, made the cover and designed and typeset the book. He is a designer um, by trade and passion, and his love for beauty rivals my own. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, he made this beautiful cover of the book. I, I don't know that he was, we'd have to ask him okay. if he was thinking about that I think he was significant. Yeah. For me, it's very reminiscent of, do you you guys know about sacred geometry? Mm. Mm -mm. Like, it's like, mm, I can't teach you about it. (laughs) It's like how, um, how everything in the universe sort of comes, comes down to math Mm -hmm. and it comes down to geometry and like the shapes of things and the mathematical, um, everything's circles and fractals. And Mm -hmm. so I guess that's what the cover reminds me of, but Mm -hmm. So for me, this beauty is functioning. Yeah. It's performing. It's functioning. I want to be drawn into each one of these little diamonds of, I'll call it blue and yellow, but those Mm -hmm. aren't the right colors. (laughs) feel like a universe is inside there that I'm being invited Mm -hmm. into, just like each litany is a universe in and of itself. Oh, that's So, I mean, it just, it draws me in from the outside. And I don't want to make too much of it, but it really is a a beautiful part of the experience already. For me with this yeah. book. Holding a nice book in your hand is a beautiful experience. Holding your own book <laughs> in your hand has it's, got to be a beautiful experience. Yeah, it's akin to holding your child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what's it like to to hold this book in your hand and to share this, these words with the world? Mm-hmm. Share, I think Matt used the word labor. Yes, and, you've and labored and over this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I am a very reserved person. In my nature, I'm a, a true Enneagram for y'all. <laughs> um, vulnerability, like shame is my superpower in mm. some ways. And um, I, it has taken me so long to get even accustomed to the idea of putting my artwork out for the world to see, to, for anyone who clicks on franpratt.com mm. to be able to see the work. Um, it has challenged me so deeply to be vulnerable in that way of putting my artwork out. Oh gosh. Um, I would have like fits of a feeling of Mm. shame, like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. People are looking at my stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm gradually getting better at, at dealing with that, but it, so making this book and, and really I, this book is like a slice of the body of work that I've created. I consider it like a catalog. I've created like a catalog of work. Mm-hmm. That's um, Most of it exists in like this nebulous form on the internet. And this is a cross-section. The book is a cross-section of the catalog that I was like ch- trying to choose the most useful bits. And then I added quite a few, probably a good 30% are brand new 
um, that I didn't, I never did publish online specifically for like, what do church churches need to say? What do, what do people of faith in faith, faith community context need to say? So yeah, I mean, it was like a labor of, of love, I think, but also it's just so nice to hold it in your hand Mm -hmm. to get it off of the the ether of the internet. <laughs> How are you hoping that communities will use this book? And uh, do you, what anxieties do you carry about them using this book, if any? Um, oh, well, I have a lot of anxieties probably. Mm. <laughs> One of my friends said, uh, I showed it to him. He's a priest, an Episcopalian priest. And he, he took a hold of it, and he. We were sitting in a church pew at, at that particular moment, and he stuck it in the in the pew pocket, mm. and he said, "Dang, that looks nice right there." And I was mm. like, "Oh yes, that looks really nice in a pew pocket." So I'd love to see it in pew pockets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if that'll happen, but I think that's a, a beautiful yes. dream to have. Like, like okay, we've got our Book of Common Prayer, which we've been using for a couple, you know, some centuries, right. a couple centuries, and then. You know, maybe next to it, we have this paler version. It's not as robust. It's not as um, all-encompassing as the Book of Common Prayer. But it's it's just a fresh take for the modern audience. A fresh take on how to say things out loud together that we need to say, and how to pray out loud together, which I think is a really powerful thing to do for human beings to use their voices to speak prayers out loud together in unity and unison. I think there's more to that than we, than we imagine when we're doing it. Mm -hmm. It is not just rote, rote prayer. Like there is something powerful there. There's something that we're getting into the, the way that like God speaks things into being and God has shared that, um, that, I guess, power with us of using words and vibration and sound to speak a new reality into being. You know, we, we hear in the first book of John, the word was with God and the word was, was God and the word was made flesh and the word went out into the world and created a whole new thing. And, um, it's a procreative act. It's a procreative act. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is what I think I'm saying. I think I'm, I think like that is the most beautiful thing that I could accomplish. If people mm. are saying them aloud or saying these prayers aloud and creating a new like level of reality of the kingdom of God or the community of God and the kingdom of God on earth, that is why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. I, do I really do think that the book does do that. And, you know, I grew up Catholic, so it's very easy for me to open this book and feel comfortable with Litany. Mm-hmm. Um, your friend, who's the Episcopal priest, it's very comfortable for him. But I really think this book has given access to people from other traditions and no tradition at all to read these prayers and to begin praying in a new way. I can think of examples of, of different people that I, I know that are using it in their churches who, who didn't use litanies before, and it's really a part of this movement to go back to these old but beautiful traditions that have been lost. And so I think sitting side by side with the Book of Common Prayer makes total sense. <laughs> it's so ambitious. Um, like, I feel sheepish even saying well, that, but... Someone's no. got to do it. Someone's <laughs> got to do it. You did it well. Um, I want to ask, so we've already talked about how just intentional, how curated this whole work is. I was fascinated with where you begin. You begin with rest. 
Mm. The very first litany mm-hmm. is about rest, and I thought, surely that's not an accident. No, it Just isn't. Looking at the rest of this book and knowing Fran Pratt, mm-hmm. that's not an accident. So why why begin there? The book on the spiritual life and growing together, a procreative book. Yeah. Um, so part like part of my progressive spiritual awakening has been. Um, Oh gosh, I talk about the oneness too much, and that's too that's too like high level to really dive into right at this moment. But um, have you ever heard of Wu Wei? Okay, it's like a, it's a Chinese, an ancient Chinese like Taoist term, I think, and it means the art of doing nothing, mm-hmm. and it's like the the art of um, idleness, but not empty idleness. Mm-hmm. And I think that that idea, along with the ideas, which in the Christian tradition, we call it Sabbath mm-hmm. or Jubilee sometimes in a, at a broader level. Uh, I think it's such a corrective to how we operate in the world today. We are, we are like, go, go, go. And we never give ourselves a chance to disconnect from you know, the umbilical cord of the phone to mm-hmm. the Facebook, to the Instagram, to the whatever. And to me, the concept of, of building rest into our lives mm-hmm. is, um, there is there, it's like a number one thing you have to do mm-hmm. to be a spiritual person. Like it is, this is basic spirituality, learning to incorporate rest, at least in my opinion and my experience. What I'm hearing you say is one of the most prominent spiritual ailments of our society then is we don't know how to meander, we don't know how to rest, mm-hmm. we're go, go, go. So that's why you begin here. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, I, I like to talk about journey also and how like the journey is the journey. Mm-hmm. The journey is not the destination. The, you know, our lives are not a destination. This is, we're here to have a journey mm-hmm. and resting as a part of that and appreciation of the now as a part of that and like that we need that. We need right. that corrective to our society. So yeah, rest and balance is Well, and that was your experience one. as well. You needed a litany that could hold you, a liturgy that could hold you. Yeah. <laughs> so that you could rest. Yeah, exactly. And to let yourself grow. Yeah, it was like a, a, a hammock of liturgy <laughs> to go. just lay and swing in. <laughs> right. That's a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just back from this retreat at this Benedictine monastery in Alabama, and the sisters there are starting this program that you have to apply to get into. It, it'll, it'll start in the next year or so. And it's, um, you, you commit to going there twice a year for eight to 10 days, uh, for three years. And the language they kept using over and over in describing what it would be was literally just learning how to rest. Mm-hmm. And I, they said it over and over again. It really struck me. That's something in our culture, we have to learn how to do. We don't yeah. know how to rest. And you know, I have a three-year-old. You both have two, each have two young kids. We don't always get to just go away to a monastery mm-hmm. for 10 days, twice a year. That's not really... <laughs> that seems good. amazing that's and luxurious. Not, that's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. But this book for me has is a little tool for me to learn how to rest in my everyday life. That's mm-hmm. why I think it is for everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not for pastors. It's not for church leaders. I mean, it is, but it's for everyone who wants to learn how to rest where they are. And mm. the, they, they are very beautiful. Um, 
Can I say one thing about um, just my ecumenical intentions for yes. the book? Yes, please. Do. Um, I I really have a heart for an ecumenical faith, and from drawing from a wide array of sources for our faith. I grew up in a very insular context mm-hmm. that said, well, anything outside of our of our mm-hmm. tradition mm-hmm. is suspect. Sus- yeah, we have to yeah. be suspicious of that. But um, my intent for this book is for it to be able to jump into any kind of yes. context yes. from from even like a um, not necessarily a faith context. Mm-hmm. Like, can anyone take a prayer and interact with it yes. in an authentic yeah. way, or anyone, whether they're Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. we talked a lot. Oh. I'm sorry. I, I've got to say, on the other, we begin with rest, yes. but on the other hand. There are parts where I thought you were kind of meddling, and this was convicting, <laughs> and this was challenging. Thank you. <laughs> the litany for the homeless. I read that, and yeah. I was I was convicted. I thought this isn't just a book of resting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a book of spiritual growth and holistic spiritual growth. Mm. So not Thanks just for saying that. resting yeah. and yeah. Sabbath, Very but challenging. So things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot about. Uh, you know, the book and people who are receiving the book, but what would you say to other, to people doing similar work as you, um, to other work, working artists and ministers, putting out creative content, um, specifically with little to no financial support? (laughs) This is a really hard question because it's, um, it, it's a conundrum for me right now. I like we, I put this book out with no funding, I just put it out on Amazon. I I and my spouse, Jordan, did all of the work on it mm-hmm. in advance and then put it on Amazon. So it's not like I did a Kickstarter or any kind of crowdfunding, although I may, may need to do that next time mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was a lot of hours mm-hmm. of work. Um, and that, like, it's a really hard thing to believe in the value of your own art and to stick to your guns of, like, it's okay. This is worth something. This is worth mm-hmm. something to communities and individuals. And so, part of part of my goal for 2019 is to figure out how to make my writing sustainable. Because right now it isn't. Mm-hmm. Right now it's just you know I'm just it's a lot of output, 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 mm-hmm. and the input has to come from like meditation and, and like my own spiritual practice. So part of my goal for 2019 is to figure out how to make it sustainable, like financially sustainable for, uh, so that I don't have to quit (laughs) and Mm -hmm. like find another job. Um, I'd like another part-time job. We are all, Hey, all of the pastors of peace of Christ church are part-time. We don't get any benefits. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we are very blessed to each of us have spouses who also help bear the burden of our like household finances because if we didn't have our spouses who do that we would not be doing this would we no (laughs) no we thank we thank them and we're grateful to them um and peace of christ church should be grateful to them as well right right. and we do it ultimately because we get we receive energy from this work and believe in this work believe it yeah otherwise we wouldn't do it and Mm -hmm. it's the same with this with this writing of that ultimately i have to do what's in me to do and i have to make the art that's in me to make. Otherwise my own soul will die, will, you know, not thrive. 
and I have to make beauty in the world and have to put beauty out into the world. Otherwise, what am I here for <laughs> as an Enneagram for? Um, I love it. Paul, Paul Tillich calls that the courage to be, Oh, to show up oh, and be take courage. when yeah. it would be easier to slip into non-existence, to not let something like this be would be easier. Yeah. But it's a very self-affirming act to Ex- show up That and is be. exactly right, to show up and be. Yeah. And it's taken me a lot of courage and a lot of overcoming shame and a feeling of vulnerability Mm -hmm. to do. And now I'm at this crossroads where um, I've moved a lot of my work over to subscription right now. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that I just, it has to become sustainable. Otherwise I can't continue indefinitely with it not being sustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, Was that the answer to your question? Yeah. I feel like I meandered a bit there. You know what? I think that there's something for people who are doing similar work to hear, not just in that question, but in this whole, this whole interview. Yeah. And let me say just a word. Um, I've moved over to Patreon to most of my work is appearing on Patreon, my weekly work. And Patreon is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing for artists and creators. It's basically like a tip jar for creators, for, for artists and like people who support the work can contribute to the tip, the tip jar every month. Hey, we want to see you do mm-hmm. this. We want to, we want to see this work mm-hmm. out into the world and to have it continue. So Patreon is a beautiful, um, business model. I yeah. really like it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing mm-hmm. that for some practical ways for people to support yeah. you and, um, probably even check out other, mm-hmm. other, other amazing creatives. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the book, but let's, let's, let's read some from it. Let's hear a reading. Um, there, just to give people listening an idea of, of the vast um, spread of content in the book, um, there are all kinds of litanies. Fran's going to read one here just in, a, in just a second. But, um, you know, Matt talked about litany for rest and balance and litany for the homeless. But there's also litany for, for privilege, litany for mm-hmm. justice and equality. Litany for post-disaster trauma, litany for lament for changing times, mm-hmm. um, litany for the you know church rituals. There's uh, if you are working in a church, there's some great litanies in there for children, for baptism, pastors, for welcoming new members. We Fran wrote a litany for us so that when new people join the church, we can celebrate mm-hmm. them. Litany for volunteers, ordination, um, and then communal worship as well. So there's. Um, all kinds of litanies for praise and, and worship. And um, you can go to Amazon. and uh, Can you see the table of contents um, on Amazon? I think Amazon? so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it, there's so many beautiful litanies in here. We've got some Advent litanies. We're paying attention to, a friend's paying attention to the church calendar. There's a series for Lent. So, yeah, we've got, you know... I wanted it to be useful. It's very mm-hmm. yes. useful and, it's, and helpful was my main goal. Beautiful and useful and helpful. And it <laughs> so. addresses the times. You know, I'm looking at litany for racism in the United States, litany for victims of sexual violence. I mean, you really, you really did catalog a good amount, but there's so much more. Yeah. So let's read and then talk about the future. Okay. I think I want to read litany for changing times. Because I am, like I do endeavor to address what, what is going on in the world co- currently and what do people of faith have a need to articulate. So here's a litany for changing times. God, things are changing. The world is changing. We feel uncertain and shaky. 
we feel anxious. Questions have arisen that we've never had to deal with before. Give us wisdom. Shifts in culture and technology have brought problems we've never had to face before. Give us discernment. We are divided in our opinions of how to move forward. We want unity. We disagree on policy. We want compassion. We know that the kingdom that Christ began on earth is progressing. The good news is expanding. The momentum of your will being done on earth as it is in heaven is unstoppable. Even as all around us changes, your love endures forever. Even in war and climate change and social media, your love endures forever. Even in theological and political disagreement, your love endures forever. Help us to love one another as never before, better than before. Help us to not be defensive or closed-minded, but open to the kingdom coming in unexpected ways. Amen. Amen. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those, so most, all, every single litany in this book is responsive. So alternate lines mm-hmm. are read by a leader and a con- in the congregation. So that's just a note. That was a, a reading by one reader. but Yes, but that just shows that you can read these at personal prayer. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, they really are beautiful. Well, tell us what's next. What now? You've written your first book, you've published it, it's in the mm-hmm. world. Now what happens? Well, I have a few. I think two or three smaller like ebook ebooks in the works for this year I'm hoping to get out. Um, one is a, one of them is going to be about worship. My working title for it so far is paying attention, the essence of worship. Um, and that's coming out of a lot of my spiritual journey of the last few years. Um, and then the next like paperback book of litany is like the one that I'm gonna release that we can hold in our hands. It's going to be more geared towards non-churchy people, mm. like people who are kind of done with church or post-church or hurt and wounded by church, but they're going to be like my more, I don't know, just less churchy litanies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's great. I'm yeah. really looking forward yeah. to that. Me too. Thinking, like, uh, are you talking about me right now? Yeah. Sure. Like, <laughs> um, you know, it's like some ti- one title that I know that's in that book is Litany for Magic. And I'm just really exploring imagination and like reimagining the divine mm-hmm. in that book. So that's coming. I don't know when I'll get it done, but mm-hmm. it's coming. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for creating the, this, um, these various avenues to God, mm-hmm. no matter who it's for, whether it's for a, a pastor, a, con- a person in a congregation or a person with no faith at all, you're providing access to the divine. Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful and such a gift. So thank you for the courage it took mm-hmm. for you to do that because mm-hmm. we have all been been given a gift through mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I was that. trying to think of how to say thank you and I was thinking, thank you for a tool, no. Thank you for a companion mm. for me on my journey and for our, our community, our congregation. Yeah, liturgy is our friend. Yes. <laughs> Our helper. That's right. It's our work and also our help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was fun, and we are looking forward to putting out some more spiritual lanyard yeah. for our <laughs> listeners. Um, so check us out on our podcast, Peace of Christ Church. Yeah. Round Rap, Texas. Yeah. Peace.